You make me so proud. Welcome to Xavier's Dream Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Coleman. This podcast is a carefree black nerd examination of the newest dawn of X-Men. When you're listening to this podcast, please live tweet and comment using the hashtags Xavier's Dream Pod and XDPod. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app, Xavier's Dream, with the rest of the Carefree Black Nerd uh, archives, <laughs> are available on Spotify. So please subscribe, subscribe, show the show some love. Show me some love on your social medias, Instagram, Instagram stories, Twitter, Facebook, your dating apps, all that good stuff. <laughs> now on to episode six, House of X, issue three. Once more unto the breach. Machines. Sentinel to Nimrod progression. Sentinel Alpha. Non-sentient, mutant hunting robots based on non-replicating, adaptive technology. Mark 1 to Mark 8. Master Mold. A replicating, adaptive, fixed or mobile, sentinel factory that is self-aware and capable of creating sentinel drones. Mother Mold. A replicating, Adaptive Sentinel Factory that is self-aware and capable of creating Master Molds. While a Master Mold is incapable of improving beyond its ultimate Sentinel state, it's theorized that, given enough time, a Mother Mold is capable of producing purely adaptable machines based on Nano-Sentinel technology. Omega Sentinel. A human infected with Nano-Sentinel technology and progressively transformed from human to machine. See the Omega Cycle for reference. Nimrod, a pure nano-sentinel construct, and a mutant, adaptive, self-aware, self-replicating, virtually indestructible. Alright, so before getting started, I do want to give a big stern shout out to AWB, I'm at WBooth on Twitter, thank you for all your uh, thoughts and discussion, as well as Karen. That's Karen underscore X-Men fan for those X-Spoilers and thoughts as well. Thank you guys very much for listening in. Now, uh, getting to the creative team. Of course, we got Jonathan Hickman as the writer. Pepe Larza as the artist. Marte Garcia as the color artist. VCs Clayton Kyles as the letterer. Tom Mueller as the designer. Uh, Pepe Larza and Marte Garcia as the cover artists and a slew of other folks for variant covers. We have Mike Huddleston, Muhammad Asar, and excuse me, As- Asrar. Ooh, I know I messed it up. My apologies. David Carell, Sarah uh, Pacelli, Dean White, Jeff DeCal, Scotty Young, John Tyler, uh, John Tyler Christopher, excuse me. Um, editors, Annalise Bisa as the assistant editor, Jordan D. White, the editor, CB, mm, gonna mess this up, Sabuski, I believe that's it, editor in chief, Joe Casada, chief creative officer, Dan Buckley, president, Alan Fine, the executive producer. All right, guys, so we are knees deep in this thing. House of X, issue three, once more unto the breach. For this, we're halfway through. We are six issues into this 12-issue rotating kind of mini maxi series. And boy, oh mother freaking boy, am I excited. So, uh, starting off with the cover alone, uh, we have this gigantic sentinel head, which I think is a mother mode. But we have Angel, Husk, M, Nightcrawler, Marvel Girl, uh, Wolverine, and Cyclops on the cover. Y'all already know over here at Xavier's Dream Pod, as Carefree Black Nerd, we stand Generation X from top to bottom. To see M and Husk 
Monet St. Croix and Paige Gunthry, fam, I'm all in, period. Um, there's some other people online who we've been who I've been speaking with about the X-Men and spoilers and theories and whatnot. So forgive me for not remembering everyone's name. I'm I'll, I'll do better this week at making uh making a list. But um I was told by plenty of people that Hickman is a Generation X fan. So, uh, fingers crossed, toes, eyes, feet, ankles, all that, that we get Everett Thomas sing back in the books, as well as Angelo, and I'm going to butcher this name, it's, I'm not even going to try it, Angelo Skin, the whole Generation X crew. Like, I'm, ah, knowing that he is uh, a fan makes me even more excited for these events. Now, really quickly, I know I had mentioned in an earlier episode about the Sentinels kind of feeling like a low-level threat or that I didn't really understand the fear or threat of Sentinels. I never have. Even as a kid watching the 92 cartoon, reading the stories in the comics, I understood that these giant robots were a threat, but I never understood why they were so terrifying. Now, on Fox Studios side of things, when we have the X-Men, I forget which film it was, with these Sentinels that were kind of uh, mutated with uh, Mystique's DNA, they they seem to pose a threat. You can change and morph into whatever is needed at the time. But regular Sentinels, I never saw them as, I never felt like lives were in danger. But with this story, this installment, woo, a lot has been explained. Um, so we open up on Krakoa. And remember before when we spoke with Scott, Charles, and um, Magneto, and it was like, you know, what needs to be done, it's going to get done. So pretty much Scott did his Olivia Pope thing, and he said, fuck it, we're going to get this shit taken care of. So I was very excited, um, and now we get that payoff. So, Scott, <clears throat> it's done. I've assembled a team, good mutants, all who accept the mission for what it is. They understand both the stakes and the risks. They understand and embrace it. And uh, he's speaking to uh, Charles and Magneto. And Charles has been giving me, hey, Miss Mamas, <laughs> like this entire run. It is something about him that is very carefree, very manipulative, very, um, uh, I, I can't I can't really put it into words, but something about his body language in these books, the present day, Charles, is making me, I know there's the question of, is this really Charles Xavier? But with the things that Hickman has presented, I'm just like, I'm just going to accept whatever it is so that whatever plot twist happens, I will be genuinely shocked by. But who's to say a Charles that has experienced telepathically or tele yeah, telepathically all of the different lives of Moira would not be this type of person? You know, so for people say, oh, that's not Charles. I got to be somebody well, like, who's to say this isn't him? Um, additionally, he's given me a very, not sinister, but there's something about his movements, the way he's drawn that feels intentional. And I don't know why. And it may just be me projecting, but it feels very, especially him next to Magneto. They they seem like, I don't know. They, they're two power players from old school, so... I don't know, but, um, so they're like, okay, uh, Charles says, you know, you're wearing a brave face, Scott, that's cool and all, but you can't hide your fear from me, I can hear your fear, and I do like this conversation, because from here on out, for Hickman's run, 
I believe that I'm just going to look at the mutants as black people, period. Like, I, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm sure it's written in a way that any marginalized group could imprint their own um, stories onto the X-Men. But this run has very much been, very much been, has been one of the most blatant and easier things to latch onto than some of the stories of the past. Like, this seems to be deliberate about rising up from the oppressors and survival not even uh being defensive and or excuse me offensive and and trying to take down the man it's been more or less like this is survival leave us the hell alone so for me going forward until i say otherwise when i look at the mutants i'm looking at them all as the black experience i understand that some of them are white asian hispanic latina latinx and all that that intellectually I get, but the struggles and the things that they're dealing with feel so familiar for me as a black person. So that being said, Scott, this black man in my head, <laughs> he says to uh, Xavier's comment about him being scared or having fear, is it wrong that I'm afraid that I have doubts? And it's, it's, ah, I love this because um, it's like the father and son. It's the student and teacher, the mentor and mentee. And he's like, of course not. You know, you've always been that way. Um, you've overcome it and you do so for your family. You make me so proud. And that's another thing. And I could be kind of misremembering things, but I don't, I don't remember a lot of times where Xavier showed that type of emotion towards the students. Now, they're very, they could very well be instances that I'm just not remembering. But for him in this run to say, you make me so proud, that's that held weight for me. Um, and then what I do like is this conversation between Magneto and, um, and, 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 um, excuse me, Scott, cause he's, uh, his fear is, is uh, that, that he'll die. Essentially his fears of death. And Magneto says for the righteous can never truly die. They live on transformed into something immortal by their mighty works for you to die. You would have to be forgotten. And no one forgets a founder of a nation. Like, bruh. <laughs> Clearly, I'm a stand, but that got me. Like, these first two pages, not even the first full two pages, the first page and the second pan, and the first panel on the second page got me. So, we've been getting this kind of political, science fiction y historical journey. Which is cool. And I'm still hearing different podcasts, not just the same one I was speaking about before, but just in podcasts at large that it seems like a lot of people aren't really feeling this story. And I get it, it's your prerogative. You can like what you want, but I, I, I really would like to pick the brains of someone who is not enjoying this series um, or doesn't like it. And it's not to say that I'm right and they're wrong because that's not the stance I'm taking. This art is meant to be dissected, but I would really truly like to know what is it about this story that you don't like and kind of break down that as well and, and i'm not saying that you are required to but if anyone who who's listening maybe does not share my uh views on the story let me know tweet me carefree blurred use that hashtag xavier's dream pod or xd pod because i'm really enjoying it i have several episodes explaining why so you understand what i like but i would like for somebody to hit me up and let me know why you don't like it and if not that's cool too so we get um we get Scott going to meet his team, which is man, this is such a and I okay, this is a 
okay, this is a team. You got Logan, you got Paige, you got Warren, Monet, Gene, Kurt, and Mystique. Raven, excuse me. And he approaches them, and it's so massive, this space that they're in. With Krakoa, and with Krakoa having so many um, different like ways to communicate and travel, um, I never once second-guessed that we were, you know, on Earth. Scott walks up to the group. All right. Apparently, a group of rogue human scientists called Orkis is building the ultimate master mode, a mother mode. It is in orbit around the sun. We have to destroy it before it comes online. That's another thing I like about this story. Though it's kind of taken us five to six issues to get to this point, we've established enough history to understand the weight of what's going on, even if we don't know what's going on. But this race against the clock, which is a clock that we don't even know the time of, we're racing to get to this master mode, this mother mode before it comes online, but we don't know the event that brings it online. Our very presence, like in proximity to the physical mother mode, could be the thing that turns it online. Like I really, man, I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> because again, we don't know what is going on. And then this mix of of um of a team is like, bro, this is so like I'm getting my fave. Well, some of my faves. Um, I Paige. This is my first time reading her outside of the second volume of Generation X, which was the Jubilee led team that was um by Christina Strain. Um, she appeared in there for a bit, but prior to that, the X Men runs that she was in after the first. Generation X Volume 1's ending, I didn't read those. Um, I, I saw through different sources that her and Angel were a thing. Um, I'm interested to see if that will come into play here. You know, clearly they're on a team together, at least in this uh, on this mission. But whatever, I digress. Um, and Scott continues, And while sure, they're hell of a nightmare of a machine that produces mutant death factories is some bad news. The real danger here is that we think it's going to lead to a technological paradigm. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> a shift. Good Lord, y'all. I can read. I know how to read. <laughs> um, so off we go, he says. But be advised, we won't be taking any Krakoan fauna, which means there's not going to be a gateway home. We have to get in and get out the old-fashioned way. So this feels like a heist. This feels like a heist of utter importance and i man i freaking love it another thing quick side note mystique i'm one of those uh readers who is very aware of women in comics and the way they're drawn and the way they're dressed um there's a lot that i can kind of suspend a belief for disbelief for excuse me but mystique's white uniform i do not know but i love this it's classic she could wear this shit all day long in every single book she ever appears in and i would be fine with that um it it i don't know it's just a classic look it's showing a lot of skin it's uh form fitting it um it's tact it's it's a, a reasonable outfit to wear when you about to fight whoops some ass and all that like i just i like it mystique's look has always been a favorite of mine ever since i was a kid okay so um another so we get a couple close-ups uh, dialogue with a few X-Men, which is, um, so in, 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 I feel like everyone should be smart enough to understand this, but I do think that, um, you would want to have people question, well, why aren't we taking Krakoan flowers? 
Well, I instantly thought, why would you take a flower so that they can, they being the Orkeets, if they get a hold of it, they can either track that back to you and kill everybody, or they could find a way to use the, um, the DNA of the, of the Krakoan flower. Because again, didn't we use, um, Rogue's DNA in the movie verse and then some other mutants DNA to create a cure also for the mutant growth hormone. I was like, yeah, this, it doesn't make sense. Why would you, why would you take a flower? Uh, Monet, my home girl, ah, she speaks up. Um, that's because you're only thinking of success, not planning for failure. What if the mother mode AI gets a hold and a hard look at what we're doing here on Krakoa? See how all of this works. Who knows? Maybe they find something we haven't, which is another thing to be concerned with because again, Krakoa, though it is this wonderful habitat and this safe haven for mutants, it is depending on which history we're going with, it is a man. It is a man who is mutated or it is an island that is mutated. That being said, we don't know the length or the extent or all of the limitations of Krakoa. And then with the Omega level mutants being a part of the conversation, has Krakoa, is Krakoa a Omega level mutant? And if that is so, have we even reached their full potential? You know, so again, what if they find something that we don't? So that's, oh. Man, so this is good. So everyone loads up into a, I don't know, Blackbird, Jet, whatnot. Uh, and then there's a conversation had between, I believe, Gene, Scott, and Logan, which I really enjoyed, which was uh, Gene says, um, what about the human crew? And then Scott says, the mission is to stop the mother mode, no matter what. But we want to keep casualties as close to zero as possible. The station has a long-term capacity of just over 3,000. So there are probably a lot of innocent civilians alongside whatever security they have. This is when Logan says, Innocent civilians don't build machines to exterminate species, Slim. And Gene, they're not soldiers in the war, Logan. They're just scientists scared of their own failure. How do you think humans went from sticks to bombs? Bruh, like, it is so, it's like right there in your face, like... If you did not side with the mutants in the, since 1960s, you have to understand their plight now. You have to be able to take yourself as a human out of the equation and understand that there are no innocents in this on that side. If you're working with the machines to exterminate an entire species of people, which that... Oh, whatever. So we get this full wide uh, page where we see the... Um, Blackbird leaving a Krakoan habitat, the one that's on the blue side of the moon. I believe it's the blue side. Well, it's on the moon, period. Um, and I like that. Again, it's a callback to the first issue where we saw, I believe it was Storm, no, uh, Armor uh, planting a Krakoan flower on the moon. I like that because it, you, I, you just would have assumed we were on Earth, and that is not the case. Uh, so I don't know y'all, I'm, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling the whole sentinel of it all, I do like the explanation of the master modes and mother modes, and then the omega level sentinels, the, those seem to be a very kind of terrifying threat, not just because they're, uh, robots, but because of their size. Now with a gigantic sentinel, I could see you doing some evasive maneuvers and then, you know, destroying it, but for someone that's on your level, size-wise, but has the the capacity of a 
gigantic sentinel that is a terrifying thing like oh man so i do like that we're getting more into the orkies and and what they're doing and trying to get rid of these mutants um but we move on to project achilles now with this this project achilles department of state united states of america project achilles is a superhuman super maximum security prison built to house only a maximum of 30 super-powered criminals, the worst of the worst. Achilles has all the necessary components on site to comply with all legal and extra-constitutional requirements, along with a security and judicial staff that rotates on and off-site every three months. Once someone arrives at Achilles, they stay at Achilles until their shift is over. The only exceptions are for an external breach or a loss of containment. Civilian access and special admittance to Achilles is only possible with a dispensation from the United States Department of State. Please note, a pre-approved list of civilians, almost all immediate and extended family, is allowed access to the inmates once a year, but to date, no one had ever requested such a visit. So, docket 6732D3. Only one case today, Judge. So we open up at the Super Villain Processing Court at Project Achilles, which is Superhuman uh, Supermax. Looks like a standard um, uh, courthouse, and I, you know I'm feeling it. This Tolliver person, I don't know what she is. It looks like Shield. I don't know. I, I don't even know. I'm not even going to begin to um, speculate. But the judge is speaking. And we're uh, we're here trying to figure out, you know, who is this? Who is this that's being um, um, judged? Now, again, remember that I am myself personally thinking of the mutants as black people. So the judge continues. All quiet on the Western Front, A.G. Tolliver. She says, what we lack in volume, we're making up for in dep depriv depravity. God, I can read. You're, <laughs> I can read, John. <laughs> she says, the uh, defendant is being charged with felony breaking and entering, felony assault, felony theft, two counts of manslaughter, and I swear to God, if bad manners were something I could add to the list, I would. So, um, pretty much we're at a sentencing. Now, this is where the, I don't know, the, the, um, the sympathy jumped out. So, the uh, judge banks his gavel. He says, well, I think we all know how I feel about social graces. So, he turns to a court-appointed lawyer. And what about you, Counselor? Do you have anything to offer on behalf of your client before we begin today's proceedings? They show him visibly upset, nervous, a two-big suit, papers all over the place, sweating, hair all over his head. Just, just one thing, Your Honor. Uh, a motion to, to dismiss based on the fact that my client w uh, was an unwilling accomplice and had no idea uh, what, what his companion's intents were. Uh, we'd, we'd argue you got the wrong man. And this, again, however silly it may look, is part of that black experience. <laughs> when you're in the court system, you're just there for whatever minor or major infraction. You are there, and a lot of times you get these court-appointed trash-ass people who aren't bad people always, but just overworked, overwhelmed, and don't have the representation that somebody with money or affluenza does uh so the judge is pretty much like yeah it's a good try unfortunately we're gonna charge a uh, client um under the government's new 12 strike rule sounds very familiar to the three strike rule if i do say so myself 
Um, he continues, which, as you know, supersedes intent, so motion denied. And I was like, God dang. So I pretty much knew who they were discussing, but it wasn't until you flipped the page that you see it's Sabretooth. He has been taken into custody. And <laughs> this motherfucker, his response is, oh, I'm guilty. I'm guilty meat, huh? <laughs> he spits. I'm definitely got bad manners. And so... <laughs> <laughs> the judge is like, okay, and how do you plead to the other charges? Like, yeah, bad manners, whatever. And I, man, I love me some Sabretooth, like, when he's an anti-hero, when he's slightly hero, when he's villainous. I just like me a good Sabretooth. I mean, there's even every iteration of him in the Fox um, movies I've liked. I just, I like me some Sabretooth. I don't know what that says about me, but I like Sabretooth. He says, yeah, I did those two. It ain't like it's gonna matter. Ain't no place ever been built that can hold me. And if we're being really honest, ain't like I'm going to sit here and let you judge me anyway. Which is like, I'm like, where do you get off the unmitigated gall, the the confidence like in your own ability that you're just like, oh, I'm at this super max prison. You really think you're going to hold me? He said, you think chains can keep me from making your insides your outsides? Because let me tell you, they can't. And I was just like, who is writing these lines? Um, so, in the very next panel, he goes, you smell that? And then you, uh, they, they, uh, the camera goes to the court-appointed uh, lawyer. He's like, oh, what, what is that? Jasmine. What, what does that mean? It's the... And then you see the the huge, like, Sabretooth is massive. Victor Creed is a tall, so I would, I would picture him, in my head, he's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, maybe let's say 350, solid muscle, just towering over very much a height of a basketball player, but the uh, body type of, like, maybe a wrestler or a football player, whatever. You see him. But then he bends down to this meek small guy and just him next to everyone else just he man okay i'm gonna stand so we know i stand for magneto we know i stand for saber too we know i stand for mystique like clearly i'm the villain <laughs> so very quickly and i'm going to butcher this accent <laughs> well what do we have here it looks to me like the monkeys are using tools again miss frost Playing at civilization. Young lady, how many times have I told you I can't do it? So anyways, we get uh, we get Emma Frost and we get two of the Cuckoo Sisters, which I'm, somebody enlighten me. What happened to the third Cuckoo Sister? Because they were, they were triplets. Unless it'll be um, discovered or unveiled or whatever throughout this run. I honestly don't know where she is. So if you're listening, tweet me, Carefree Blurred, use the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XD Pod, and let me know if you are aware of where the third sister went prior to this run. Because there's only two here. Um, I tried to do a British accent. I won't do that again, guys. I'm sorry. So Emma, with her, walks in with her white fur, fur coat, uh, Dress to stop mid-thigh. Tall boots that meets the dress uh, mid-thigh. She walks a big gold X right in the middle of her chest between her collarbone and her cleavage. She just looks, she's money, opulence, money, wealth. Uh, the Cuckoo Sisters are similarly 
dress kind of they're in their like x-men uniform like maybe a diplomat's uniform i don't know but they they don't look as as flashy as her she got these big ass shades on um and so she turns to the one sisters like we only use our mutant names in public so i have to insist you call me white queen and the girl says yes mom so i'm because the sister says yes mom i um imagine we're still going with a british accent for emma but whatever so the judge is like what the hell is this what the fuck you talking about so emma enlightens him i'm not sure that that's the question you should be asking as there's quite a difference between what's getting ready to happen and what it really means so him and her they're at a war like battling with their words and intellect he mad clearly mad talking about well enlighten me then what what's going on then we pull back the camera and there's like snipers uh, with their guns pointed at the mutants. Uh, we see this overhead shot. And it's just like. I feel like there's no threat there. But I halfway get it. So she continues. Well that's certainly the correct position to assume. To enlighten you. What's going to happen. Is you're going to surrender Mr. Creed to me. Uh, and then one uh, sister interrupts her. Oh it's Sabretooth mom. Oh yes thank you Sabretooth. You're going to give him to me. Because in anticipation of Krakoa becoming a sovereign nation, all Krakoans on United States soil, naturally born or otherwise, now enjoy the privileges of diplomatic immunity. A recent gift from your State Department. So, homegirls, the sisters, they got all the paperwork. Talking about if you need it, I got it. Dripping like water. Um, and they're like, oh, and it's, <laughs> it's totally cool if you leave his chains on. So, a few things are going on in this scene for me. One... We are seeing that there are uh, political happenings behind the scenes that are not on panel. We see that the State Department, had, assuming that everything instead in these panels is true, the United States must have accepted the three gifts, the three uh, drugs from of Krakoa, excuse me, in exchange for the mutant population to be their own sovereign nation. The fact that the State Department signed into order that mutants, Krakoan, uh, naturally or otherwise, have that diplomatic immunity, that's what I'm going to assume. Um, also that when the one sister says, but it's totally cool if you leave his chains on, it says to me that regardless to the mutants being a shared identity, there still is infighting. There's still issues going on within the mutant community where you don't feel safe or you have animosity or you have fear of Graydon Creed. Of Victor Creed. Graydon Creed? Victor Creed. Um, yeah, so there's a lot going on in these two panels. So uh, Homegirl Tolliver is like, ah, oh, this ain't gonna happen. Uh -uh. And so Emma, very unbothered. Like, look at the body language between everybody in this page. Um, she said, oh no, it's going to happen. And as for what it means, well, it simply means we don't answer to you anymore. So look at that line. She says, it simply means we don't answer to you anymore. And then a few pages back where, uh, excuse me, Sabretooth said, you think that I'm going to sit here and let you judge me? It's like, again, I'm looking at them as black people with this immense power who are rising up against their oppressors. Like, eh, the shit you talk about means nothing. I'm so sorry you thought it did, but it means nothing. So the judge is yelling, pulls out a gun. That thing is a killer. He mad. Sabretooth grinning. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm, I'm going to read this. The judge, that thing is a killer. <laughs> Sabretooth, just like my mama made me. 
I don't know why that was so funny to me. Uh, so Emma continues. <clears throat> yes, he's a bit of a monster. On that I cannot disagree, but he's our monster. And from this day forward, mutants won't be judged in human courts or by the likes of you. So Tolliver, with her Billy Badass, pulls out her gun, points it at Emma with some, no, this ain't how it is today. Not on my watch. Not. <laughs> Pulled out her best Iyanla impression. Uh, pulls the gun um, and points it at Emma's face. Now, the thing that I find interesting is that these humans are so motivated by emotion and fear. You can't tell me that in this Hickman world that you were presented with, with us knowing us, I'm speaking as a human, knowing the mutant threat, quote unquote, knowing what they're capable of and pretty much having catalog several of them. You're not about to make me believe that you don't know who Emma Frost is, the white queen, what she's capable of. You pull a gun out on her? Bruh, Sabretooth can be chained and kind of controlled as his power is more physical. You pull a gun out on a telepath as if, what? What are you trying to prove? So with the gun square in her face, Emma continues. Normally, I dominate that little mind of yours and make you stick that gun where your last boyfriend left you. But I've been told the art of diplomacy is about equalizing power dynamics. So why don't you pretend that some larger American purpose is being served here today? And I'll pretend like you could have stopped me. Whew. Another scene. Another scene I want to see played out on screen. I look, I got my, let me know. Tweet me, Carefree Blur. Use that hashtag, Xavier's Dream Pod, XD Pod. Let me know out of the whole series and this issue in particular, what are some scenes you want to see translated on the big screen? What do you want to see pulled into the MCU? This scene be a one. Um, Mystique and Destiny versus uh, Moira in her lab is another one. Rasputin fighting these human sitting on hybrids is another. Like, I got my list of scenes. Um, so during this time, the Cuckoo Sisters are taking Sabretooth and walking off panel. And uh, Emma walks away and she kind of turns her head and she says, Well, it's a brave new world, darlings. Best get used to it. Like, bruh, she gives me dynasty, man. Like, Emma is wild as the fuck. And I like her. This is the Emma that if we could get a, a, a Generation X team, but having more of a X-Men as far as adults, but Generation X as far as keeping that same roster, I would love to see this Emma interacting with uh, Monet, the arguments that would ensue. Good Lord. Uh. Omega Cycle. Human to Omega Sentinel Process 1. Infection A human host is injected with nano-sentinel technology 2. Nesting Self-replicating biological machines propagate in host 3. Replication Biological machines replace existing host systems and organs 4. Dormancy During the dormant period, the biological host is partially transformed from organic to machine 5. Activation. Post-dormancy transformation, a host becomes operative and is capable of activating in proximity to a mutant. 6. Union. Post-activation, the human host becomes aware of the combined consciousness of it and the sentinel directives it has been infected with. This is almost always a prolonged process that mirrors those recovering from trauma. 7. Adaptation. 
Total integration of host and machine. 8. Omega. Total machine state. So we get back to uh, the Orkies Forge, which remember in episode 1, which is House of X issue 1, how I thought that was a Sentinel or a Master Mode head. That was actually the Mother Mode. That was what um, the scientist lady was referring to, Dr. God, what is her name? Dr. So-and-so was referring to as she will make more for us. So we get here and... I, see, this is what's kind of confusing me. I'm thinking that we're picking back up. I'm thinking that the events of House of X, I know that they are present day. But I'm thinking that once that doctor herself showed up onto that uh, space station, which was, uh, what is homegirl's name? Y'all, I'm vamping trying to get her name. But when she showed up with Karima, that... I'm thinking this is like right after. Uh, so the events of House of X issue 1. I think, and you let me know if you agree, that the woman, uh, da, 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 what is her name? Dr. Gregor, excuse me. That the her and Karima walking onto the station happened just a bit before this scene happens. Um... Or maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Help me out with the timeline, y'all. So, this is another interesting part of this story that I think um, has been handled once before in X-Men. I think recently when Kitty Pryde was the leader. And I'll, I'll get to it. So, uh, Karima and Dr. Gregor are having a conversation. And uh, Karima says, self-preservation is uh, completely rational, Dr. Gregor. It's the panic that it produces where errors are induced. You think we're panicking because they're talking about all of the stuff that's been going on. Uh, Karima continues, I think you built a mother mode that breeds master modes. The second you lose control, it's hard not to see the entire planetary system covered in cold, emotionless gray with not a single pink fleshy bit in sight. The fact that you said pink flesh, again, going back to my issues of race, but whew, after all, they know where mutants come from. So this is it. In the humans race to create these machines to get rid of mutants, which I still don't see the point in doing so. Like even with the stuff that we've been presented with here, if the mutants want to succeed from the world and have their own space, they give you these treasures, which again, nothing comes without a price. It's something to be uh, questioned, but they're doing what you wanted them to do all along was get away much like i think with black people you keep wanting to get rid of us black and brown folks oh going back to your own country and this and that if we were all to do that what the what what would this what would this country look like i digress so what kareem is saying after all they the sentinels know where mutants come from they come from humans baseline humans who have genetic markers that produce mutants which means that you're mutated some type of way and it's a truth that i think every human is mutated like there is or on average even in the real world like um don't i don't have the science to back it up i remember hearing about this but like a unibrow or a different color eye i think it's blue not is it green eyes are a mutation or uh i don't know a gap is a mutation like there's so many things and i referenced the kitty pride led x-men i think x-men blue team from 
a year or so ago because there was a time I believe one of their villains was a sentinel or a machine that went online and tried to kill everybody that's when they had that Nancy Grace analog character who was like against mutants but kind of secretly for them to get her ratings up all that being said in that story there were uh, robots that went after humans because humans had mutated things about them. It wasn't just you could control fire. It was, oh, you have a gap in the front of your mouth. You're mutated. I have to go after you too. So I thought that was very interesting. But seeing Karima say this to Dr. Gregor has me even more interested. Uh, and then it's like, okay, humans, you're so upset. Yes, you get rid of all the mutants, but can you ever really truly get rid of all the mutants without going through and finding the humans who have these genetic markers, these dormant genes that when they are linked up with other humans, create a mutant. Like, yeah, this just seemed like bad news to begin with. Um, so Dr. Greg is like, yeah, that's a fair point, uh, which is why the forge was built with these control collars. Um, if these things go south, Omega, so does she, right into the heart of the sun. Which again, it's like, bruh, didn't Magneto say something like this in issue one of House of X? Like, your very first thought, speaking to humans, is destruction and war. Uh, he said something about us as mutants, we've never started a war. That's, you know, that's where our, um, our superiority lies, is that we never started a war. We're always fighting back against y'all shit. And case in point, like even here, bruh, I'm not, I'm just not for this shit. So, uh, Gregor and Karima continue talking. Um, and Gregor's like, yeah, no, no, I'm sorry. Karima asks, so how long before she wakes up? And she's like, well, we could wake her up now if we wanted. But even at this exponential rate, she's learning. She still has a while before we're comfortable that she's evolved past her, um, hella false line. I don't know what that's referring to. I'm sure it's something very educational. But the very fact that you have a machine that is learning, you're afraid to wake her up before whatever this evolved state you want her to be in. This machine is learning. This machine is creating factories of machines to create more deaf machines. Is the mutant threat that large that you're willing to essentially annihilate essentially uh, pretty much annihilate the entire world the entire human population because like karima said and our karima was like part robot if not completely i would listen to her and she's like they know where mutants come from like that's the thing that kills me so again like with black folks you know where black folks come from you know where these mixed race folks come from you know that people are coming from the motherland in my hotep voice uh but it's 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 the truth the sentinels will eventually turn on humans like that just makes perfect sense um so yeah so uh there's a little problem up here so the crew on the orkis battle station uh noticed the x-men and uh <laughs> well what happens is the guy um over the intercom he's like yeah uh we've got incoming looks like it came from the dark side of venus then used the planet to slingshot towards us we didn't even pick it up until it was 25 million miles out so she asks, oh, is it friendly? And I'm thinking, why would it be friendly if he's saying that it's slingshotted towards us? Clearly, it's not friendly. Um, he says, no, absolutely not. It's a modified Shi'ar class scout. Only one possibility of who that is, the X-Men. And uh, Gregor is is shook. 
she's like, oh, well, how do they, uh, how could they possibly know what we're doing? Uh, somebody talk. Somebody was listening. Uh, maybe somebody was watching the whole time. Who knows? But if they're coming, then it's pretty obvious what they're after. The mother mode. My thing is, you've been watching them for years. We saw in issue one of House of X, you've been monitoring all the stuff that Xavier been doing, all of the shell companies he's been buying up and moving money. You've been monitoring him. You really think you wouldn't be monitored either? Then the fact that you know about Shi'ar technology, Shi'ar, are they considered mutants? Uh, and I'm not asking, like, really. I'm just saying, like, are they considered mutants to the point where you think you know of their existence? You know how technologically advanced they are. Like, where do humans fall in the Shi'ar mutant human spectrum? Like, for you to know that this is... A, I don't know if I'm getting this out correctly. The fact that you know that is a Shi'ar vessel, you know that it's powered by X-Men, do you not have any Shi'ar technology of your own? Like, is Mother Mode supposed to be able to eliminate all that? It's... Uh, I don't know, it's a touchy thing. So, uh, Gregor runs off. She's like, nah, we got to stop them from getting here. Um, the crew shouting, we screwed up. Uh, we were expecting to be fully online before we got their attention. She on the way. So, remember, and this is why I say I think this is happening maybe moments after, if not a little bit after the events of House of X issue 1, is because Gregor and her husband were talking. Gregor boarded the space station. Her husband was back in a... Um, spaceship with one other person, one other lady or machine. Well, um, yeah, so they're still, that's who she's talking with. So they're talking about no, stay there, protect the mother mode. And Karima says, why don't you just recall the drones from Mercury to defend the station? Which again says to me, y'all been working for a very long time building these machines as a threat for the mutants. I don't know which history specifically um, we're dealing with here. If everything that has happened is true and has happened. But at what point did the mutants try to overthrow humanity if they weren't provoked? So if you'd be making all these machines, this arms race is ridiculous. So uh, Gregor's like, yeah, that's the first thing I did. Unfortunately, it's not going to matter. Even though they're in a fixed position between the sun and Mercury... It's at the apex of its elliptical orbit. So that means that the Sentinels are coming, but they're not going to make it there in time. She defeated. Damn it. Husband's like, hey, cheer up, baby. It's just a little flight for survival. Survival of our species. Nothing to worry about. And this is cute, too. I would like to see more of Gregor and her husband if they're going to be part of the big bads in the MCU. Um, assuming that they take from Hickman's run. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, let me see. So we, we, uh, zoom into the ship and, Ch uh, Charles Scott's like, okay, we're almost there. Send him in. Kurt does his little bamf thing. Uh, I love seeing Monet really have no point to read this, but I'm going to cause she's a favorite. The schematics say that we should be able to access the mother mode's ejection collars at these four locations. We need to know if the plans are correct because right now we're planning to jump in there and pop the releases. We'll fight if we need to, but it'd be a lot easier if we knew the plans were. Understood? So, uh, Kurt's like, yeah, all right, I'll be back, motherfucker. So, he goes in, he goes out. He goes in, and I like that they have him popping between panels, kind of um, amplifying his teleportation ability, or highlighting it, rather. So, he stops right in front of Gregor and Karima. Uh, he's talking to Karima, ah, oh, what a surprise. And she's like, yeah, what's up, Kurt? And he's like... <laughs> 
He said, we picking sides, Ari. And she says, actually, it was all of you, wasn't it? So I don't even know what this is referencing. I would love to know if maybe this is something with Bastion. Is this something with a Sentinel program from before? I don't know much about Karima. Please enlighten me. Xavier's Dream Pod or XD Pod. So he bamps out of there. And uh, Karima's calm, but Gregor is panicking. Um, Karima's like, yeah, they're going for the control collars. They, she ain't even, she ain't, I know she's machine, but she ain't, she don't give a fuck. She's like, all right, whatever. So Gregor on her phone screaming. They got a teleporter. Husband's like, yeah, okay, well, I've read his file, Nightcrawler. His, his uh, powers are point to point and low yield. So they're going to have to dock to insert any kind of assault force. So a quick aside, why isn't Kurt more powerful than he is? This man has been around for decades. He's been to hell and back, lost his soul, became a preacher or priest rather, very much into his religion. But I feel like he should be able to do more than what he has. Like teleportation at this point since his first appearance should be nothing. Like he should be able to go from Westchester to Alaska and not be tired. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Give me your thoughts. I just think he should be more powerful than what he is. And it's not even just this run. Like the runs that I've been reading over the last couple years, I don't see him as being as powerful. And I could be wrong. If I am, correct me. Um, use the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XD Pod and let me know. But he doesn't seem to be as powerful as he probably should be. Um, so yeah, so we get back, Gregor yelling, all right, be careful, husband, talk about, I moved our forces to the hangars, pretty much, um, you know, they're developing a plan, so, Karima, still cool as a cucumber, she talking about, yeah, that's a very linear plan for a very non-linear foe, we hear a little rumbling, and the Blackbird docks, rather, um, Kurt telling them they got Omega Level Sentinel in there with them, uh, 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 so husband sees that they're like uh, uh, lasering the roof trying to get into his vessel so what does he do he put everything on lockdown and I like this this is another scene I could I could live without it but if they put this on screen I can't wait he's talking to wife he's like hey bad news dear she's screaming what is it they're cutting through the hull of the station making some kind of entrance which is yet another failure in today's total failure of expectations it's a good idea. Even smarter than that, they're hitting the right section to access the whole station. I'm pretty sure they have plans for the station, and they've planned this operation to perfection. So, our only hope is to respond asymmetrically. Irrationally, even. So, why he's saying this, like, the way I read it is honestly the way I feel like he would be saying this. He would be very calm, probably with a smile on, on his face. Uh, and not that he's excited that he has to make this decision, but that he knows... Just like some of the mutants, for the greater good, there's something I have to do. She's screaming with Karima hand on her shoulder. What are you talking about? What are you doing? Oh, whatever it takes to build a better world. You know, I joked about it a lot, but I really wish we had kids. She's screaming. No! No! <laughs> His response. Be strong, love. Don't let them win. He clicks this trigger. And none other than crack a motherfucking thumb. The entire space station, space station, space station, his ship explodes. That is fade to black. That is motherfucking it. A Nimrod is an end state, nano sentinel construct.
Moirax has learned that while emergent artificial intelligence are unavoidable, and an immutant Nimrod is not. It is a product of a particular intent, manufactured for a purpose. Moirax and Apocalypse theorize that a Nimrod is the primal threat to the long-term survival of mutants. Moira and Apocalypse attempt to acquire the information surrounding Nimrod's origin. Apocalypse acquires the incomplete Nimrod origin files in year 100, the war. Nimrod origin files imply the raw developmental processing power necessary to produce a Nimrod is entirely dependent on certain technology thresholds being reached. A Nimrod almost always occurs in conjunction with or resulting from a mother mold. Moira dies. Then, Moira reincarnates. Moira and Charles task several mutant technopaths with creating a system, a sleeping giant, to monitor for Nimrod technological thresholds being reached and or the attempted creation of a mother mold. Orkis protocols enacted. Moira and Charles discover Orkis through sleeping giant. Charles and Magneto acquire plans for the Orkis Forge, Soul's Hammer, home of a dormant but soon-to-be-active mother mold. Charles and Magneto task the X-Men with destroying the Mother Mold and preventing the creation of Nimrod. So in the end, the X-Men die. So this seems to be the history of... It's, it's one of Moira lives. It's her live with Apocalypse. I do not remember which one. I don't want to kind of search through. But this seems to be Moira's life. It seems to be the past of the House of... Excuse me, House of X, present day, seems to be the past of the Powers of Ten future where there is the Man-Machine War. Um, that being said, it's all of it is starting to come together now. I know this will probably read better collected. I'm, I'm very interested again to see how they collect this here. Um, man, this is some good stuff. Uh, something was said on Twitter, I believe, I think it was Karen, if not, if whoever it was, if it wasn't Karen, my apologies, but said something about, uh, Moira's sixth life possibly being a life with Sinister, and that being one of the reasons why we don't have that life yet, and I wonder if after all is said and done, are we going to get that sixth life, will that sixth life, sixth life be with Sinister? Because we haven't seen him show up in this title yet, either one. So he's been mentioned, but him physically have not been have not shown up. Also, will we get a Mrs. Sinister? I'd I'd like to see, I'd like to see that. Um, yeah. So, to, getting back into everything, let me know, guys. Do you think that in this issue, in this installment of Xavier's Dream Pod? Was Xavier's dream fulfilled or was it deferred? Was this a dream, a, a plus into the, the dream of Xavier or was this a negative? Let me know. Um, if you agree with my thoughts, that's cool. Let me know if you disagree, that's fine as well. Please be sure to go up to Spotify. Go up to Spotify. <laughs> Listen in on Spotify. Please leave those uh, comments and reviews on the Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Um, let me know what your thoughts are. If you want to hear your voice on an episode of Xavier's Dream Pod, be sure to email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Use the uh, subject line of Xavier's Dream, Xavier's Dream Pod, something to that effect. And I'll add your, uh, your message onto the show with a response um, as well. Um, Y'all, you know, I'm enjoying this series. Of course. Of course I am. And... Uh, Okay, thank you all for listening in, and until next time, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, 
stay uh, ride or die for the mutants. Um, stay away from Charles because I ain't really sure what he up against yet. But the Orkis, make sure to annihilate them and stay the hell away from Nimrod. I don't know. It all them. You know what? Stay away from all that shit. I want y'all to become no half machine, half human. Nothing. We gotta be uh, ride or die for our mutant brethren and sistering and all that good stuff. You know. What I mean? Upon arriving for the first time to the mutant nation state of Krakoa, a resident telepath will imprint the Krakoan language into the mind of the newly arrived mutant. Once this is done, that mutant is capable of reading, speaking and fully understanding the Krakoan language. Krakoan was created by Douglas Ramsey to be mutantum's first autochthonous language. It's important to know that Krakoan is a manufactured language and not the native language of Krakoa the living mutant island. The language of Krakoa is untranslatable, and almost all human mutant brains are incapable of comprehending it. The only known exception is the mutant cipher, 